still recall from the books I read All the great empires built in my head But every year I raise one more I poured it out at a wardrobe door But I, I'm still seeking to Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Seeking Tumnus, the podcast where we read the books of today's youth so you don't have to. On alternating episodes, we reach back in time to our own youth and revisit the pre-Potter classics. My name is Laurie, and I'm joined by the ichthyophilial Bree, Bonjour. The lurid Keith Rowe. Hello. And the cantankerous Patrick Moon. I resent that statement, but hello. <laughs> This episode, we dip into the Ranger's Apprentice series, sneaking up on the first book, The Ruins of Gorlan, by Australian author John Flanagan. But before we proceed, some words of caution. This episode of Seeking Tumnus will contain spoilers. But before we reveal any of them, please consider reading the book and joining us, armed with your own thoughts. The title of this book is a double-pronged spoiler itself. But fear not, young apprentice, for you will learn much on this journey. This podcast may contain happy endings, childish tomfoolery, reference to mothers, and absolutely positively no romance. Almost. Now, prepare yourself for Pat and page one of Ranger's Apprentice, The Ruins of Gorlin. I apologise for all of the egregious pronunciation errors that I'm going to lead in with here, because these words are stupid. Uh, (laughs) But, uh... (laughs) Prologue. (laughs) Morgareth. Lord of the mountains of rain and night, former baron of Gorlan in the kingdom of Araluan, looked out over his bleak, rain-swept domain and, for perhaps the thousandth time, cursed. This was all that was left to him now, a jumble of rugged granite cliffs, tumbled boulders and icy mountains, of sheer gorges and steep, narrow passes, of gravel and rock with never a tree or a sign of green to break the monotony. Even though it had been fifteen years since he had been driven back into this forbidding realm that had become his prison, he could still remember the pleasant green glades and thickly forested hills of his former fief, the streams filled with fish and the fields rich with crops and game. Gorlan had been a beautiful, living place. The mountains of rain and night were dead and desolate. A platoon of wargles was drilling in the castle yard below him. Morgoth watched them for a few seconds, listening to the guttural, rhythmic chant that accompanied all their movements. They were stocky, misshapen beings with features that were halfway human, but with a long, brutish muzzle and fangs like a bear or a large dog. Lovely, lovely language. Excellent. Nice work there, Pat. Do you feel lured in, everybody? I think I admitted to you earlier offline, or maybe earlier this week, that in actual fact I had to reread that entire section approximately four times before it sunk in. I had issues with the concepts the language and I know it's very simple but yeah it took me a while yeah I get that as well like I think I read it twice and felt like I maybe could have read it more yeah that was the thing as well I just persevered in the end and you Pat I'm a fantasy stalwart really so I I enjoyed it I get into the uh the language it doesn't really bother me I was it I was there straight away page one 
Let's do this. <laughs> I'm with you, Pat. It's it, fantasy is my genre as well, so uh, I'm quite used to funny names and and bleak settings beginning a fantasy book. So yeah, I was on board. Can't wait until you read Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a false start in that it takes you right into something, but then the story itself starts again and it really sets it up. Yeah, it's one of those things they called a uh, prologue, I think. Yeah, I was just <laughs> describing it in a really long and painful way. They <laughs> <laughs> have a, a section at the, the start of the book, and uh, it's not, not really the book, but it's almost the book. They should have those at the end as well. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) More on that later, I guess. Bree, would you like to give us the synopsis of the book? So the real book starts after we've been introduced to aforementioned evil Morgoroth, who has been defeated by the combined armies of Araluen, and he has been driven back to the mountains where he's lurking and plotting and waiting for an opportunity to return. So after the epilogue, (laughs) prologue, we are introduced to five wards, as they're known in the book, but who are actually orphans, effectively, who've been taken on by one of the barons in one of the fiefdoms. Each has reached the age of about 15, at which point they are encouraged to become apprentices and take on a craft from a variety of craftmasters. So anything from the castle chef right through to a knight. We meet Will, who's described as being quite slight, And he has a couple of uncanny abilities. He can climb very easily and he's almost uh, difficult to be seen. And so he's actually taken on by one of the more mysterious crafts called the Ranger. So he becomes the Ranger's apprentice. We follow him on his adventures. So he attends the annual Ranger's gathering. He goes on a boar hunt. He meets the evil Kalkara, ably led by his Ranger master, Holt. Anybody else have anything else to say about it? Yeah. The only sort of thing that I thought was missing there was that Will originally wanted to be a knight because his parents had died and he was led to believe that his father was a... Well, he led himself to believe that his father was a famous knight that died heroically in battle. So he was a little bit disappointed initially to be chosen by the ranger. During the course of their adventures together, a bond begins to form. Yeah, the traditional father figure type for the sad orphan. Correct. But otherwise, yes, that pretty much covers it. Laurie, why did you cheese it? That's a good question. Uh, The books so far have either been um, old books that we've joined or new books that we're visiting for the first or or maybe second time. And this one I knew nothing about until my mother asked me to pick her up book seven for a Christmas present. My mother typically reads adult books. Fifty Shades of Grey and the like. (laughs) Maybe not that adult. But when I was young, I read a lot and my mother quite often uh, enjoyed the books that I read as well and sometimes she would continue reading series long after I'd stopped so I knew that it was the kind of book that I would probably enjoy and I decided to pick this first book to see how the series started. As far as how I enjoyed the book I, I really liked it actually. I guess there's the caveat that this book I believe was written for 10 or 11 year olds according to the publisher's website and a few uh, sort of secondary sites that have reviews and recommended age picked by the parents and children. So about 10 or 11. For that level of reading, I I thought it was excellent. There were a few things that I didn't like, and I'll get to that in a moment, but I guess 
Firstly, I like the idea of the apprenticeship, and it's a trope that a lot of fantasy books begin with. An orphan child, maybe with some strange abilities, is apprenticed to a master that they're not necessarily looking forward to, and then I guess it's that you're right. You said before, Bree, the father figure relationship begins, and and the real story sort of unfolds. So I quite like the apprenticeship and the setup to the main character. There was a few secondary characters in there that I found really amusing. One in particular was the Baron. He was a kindly, generous Baron, not a sort of aloof and pompous Baron. He'd set up the wards to live within the keep and um, find a trade when they're of age. So he really cared about his people, but he also had a really wry sense of humour that nobody got, and I found that amusing in the first couple of chapters. He's kind of grandfatherly. Yeah, that's right. Laughs at his own jokes. <laughs> right. No one else will. <laughs> no. A bit like Keith, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> there were lots of emotional moments in the book as well, and you guys might laugh at it, but I actually got a little bit emotional reading some of them. There was a rivalry between Will and another character, Horace, who was also a ward of the state, and they had always been sort of... I guess at each other's throats, just sort of nitpicking with each other and occasionally fighting. And throughout the book, some events transpire that bring them together and they end up friends. And that was that was a really nice moment for me. And the second thing was the Holt-Will relationship, the master-apprentice relationship. Initially, Will was really sort of dubious about becoming a ranger. And Holt was a very sort of serious master. One of the points that was raised is he, he never really smiled and obviously had something on his mind which is revealed later on in the book but there comes a point in the book where will is given the option to leave the apprenticeship of holt and chooses not to and it's the first time he remembers seeing uh, holt his master smile and that was another sort of twinge moment for me so i think there's you know for a 10 year old i'd probably be bawling my eyes out with emotion but yeah i enjoyed that part of it did you guys feel that as well i wasn't tearing up uh <laughs> I, I thought it was a nice book though right we talk about like recapturing the magic of childhood and whatnot and like this is this is it right here like this is the kind of thing that i'm talking about because i just smashed this book i saw you on friday night and i hadn't actually started yet and then i i read the book sort of almost in its entirety over the weekend right and it was so good it's really 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 good it does like take me back to the way I felt when I was reading fantasy books when I was a kid and it obviously like aimed at that lower age group it's got it it's really got it and I I would I would read the rest of the series quite happily I think and just quietly I I may I may get the next book in the series (laughs) (laughs) further research Laurie's mum can loan it to you yeah to be frank I bought the the it's like a three pack so (laughs) I'll be moving straight on (laughs) after recording this episode I think before we move on to the others, Pat, was there anything you didn't like? I was going to talk about it later, perhaps, but yep, sure. There was something that I didn't like that really sort of stood out to me towards the middle of the book, and I really I dig those fantasy tropes where you sort of have the really upright, lawful, good kind of characters, and it's part of the formula for fantasy, I think. And there comes a, a section towards the middle of the book where uh, Will and Horace get the opportunity to get their own back on some of the. Uh, the sort of schoolyard bullies that they've been faced with under the supervision of Holt the Ranger. And they 
beat the ever living snot out of these <laughs> out of these like kids essentially. I'm reading it sort of un- almost uncomfortably. Right? I'm thinking, well, this is this isn't how these books are meant to go normally. Like it doesn't it doesn't slot into that that lawful good kind of character archetype that I'm I'm so used to, especially in sort of young adult kind of fiction and it I don't know. Did you did was that jarring? It felt a little bit good though, right? That bugged me. No, that bugged me as well. In particular, it made me think I was, you know, throughout the book I was like, "Oh, great. This they're bringing up bullying. This is a really um <laughs> interesting way of approaching the subject and maybe it'll help out some kid out there." And yet then the answer is go and beat the living daylights out of the bullies and get other people to help you do it. I just under the supervision oh. of like the authority figure exactly too. Exactly right. And, and it had that bullying theme where they're like, oh, he, he's not really comfortable like going to, you know, his supervisor. He can't sort of say anything. He feels like this is just the way it's meant to be. And you're like, hey, this is like a really good analogue for something that children could experience in a schoolyard. Yeah. It slots in. There's like a, a kind of didactic thing going on there. And then uh, it sort of culminates in this really unhealthy resolution almost. And I'm, I'm thinking this is not the way that I would have gone with this if I was writing for a young audience. 10 or 11-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the key yeah. part that it is for children. So I didn't mind the comeuppance and you didn't really have to wait that long for it and I think it was fitting given the treatment they'd given Horace. But yeah, I understand what you guys are saying and I agree with it in terms of a book for children. It was a bit excessive. Ooh. Keith, I, I agree and disagree with you. I agree that like, I, I didn't mind it, to be honest with you. It makes me think that maybe I'm damaged or something. But, <laughs> but, but All I, those I, children that you were beating up in high school, it's just a well, <laughs> throwback. No, it's the complete opposite. You know, uh, I'm sure one or two of us was the quiet kid that read in the library quite often and maybe had been the subject of bullies and, and reading that sort of very deliberate vengeance. But it, it wasn't over-the-top vengeance. The, the night was it not? No, because... It wasn't. He could have. He could have done. Oh, it was pretty. It's bad. It's pretty bad. I agree. I had to kind of almost skim read parts of it because I just no. didn't want to deal with the horribleness. But it wasn't like they were smashing bones. They're beating each other with canes. Yeah. And right when they're down, they give him another massive kick. I just. Oh, mm. I don't know what sort of what it's setting up. What it's trying to say. Right. The ringleader. A grown-ass man, like, broke his nose and then handed him over to, <laughs> to the other guy to paddle him, like, with a cane, like, spank him with a cane. Mm. But he had to stand up to his own bullying first. They were attempting to bully Holt as well at the start. Yeah, and mm. it was three people looking to do serious damage to one person, and I feel like Holt made it a fair fight by saying one at a time, and... Once Horace had his chance to take them one at a time and they saw his true power and and got what they deserved, they'd put him through some horrific stuff. I think they got away mm. lightly, to be honest. It just felt like a bit of a revenge fantasy <laughs> to me more than anything else, right. I suppose. Right. It was a little bit uncomfortable. Seeking Tumnus divided. <laughs> one key bit was that Holt let Horace decide how far he wanted to take the punishment and Holt, I think, was a little surprised with how far he went. Obviously, he wasn't party to all the punishment that Horace had taken himself over an extended period, so... I think it was a lot of getting it out of his system and it was fair given the treatment he'd copped already. 
Man, you are hard bastards. <laughs> <laughs> they were older children as well. They were one year Yeah, but they were doing it in a yeah. calculated way. It was always while no one was watching in, in numbers and, and they were unrelenting in their treatment of him. Yeah, and their actions also led to him being completely isolated at the school because anyone that knew that he was being bullied stayed away from him so they wouldn't get involved in the bullying. It was, I think it was a horrific situation. But is this how you want to be teaching everybody to deal with it? punch him back, get him back worse than he got you, really make it count. I just... That was very much what it was. It was that sort of stand up for yourself, take the power kind of thing, I think. Mm. Yeah. Well, the authorities had failed them in this case. The teachers in the situation had completely missed the actions going on. So I don't know. Maybe it's just that young man that got bullied as a kid enjoying the revenge fantasy. Raging against the machine. There. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Keith, what did you like about the book? Well, first of all, I liked the book pretty much entirely. It was a fun read. It was not something I'd read a lot of fantasy as a child, but I did read some, so it was kind of reminiscent in that respect. It did feel a little bit derivative in the opening sections in particular. I think the whole thing was almost entirely derivative. It was a trope the whole way through, mm, essentially. Yeah, and I guess that's the same for all books in the fantasy realm, the majority of them anyway. But once you get over that and form an attachment to the characters, you quickly forget that and you get into the story. And I did just that. It was, a, a, like I said, a quick read, and that was because I was really enjoying it. I did have a few problems with it, one of them being the really super sweet ending. Again, aimed at children. It's par for the course, but I expected there to be a bit of a... Not to be all fantastic in the ending. And the epilogue really, I think, was just a little bit too sweet for me, but I'll touch on that later. Robin Hobb clearly didn't have a hand in the drafting of this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and if you haven't read Robin Hobb, please go do. Bree, what about you? Yeah, look, I smashed this book as well. I made a couple of attempts at starting... Smashed it like a recalcitrant (laughs) schoolyard bully. (laughs) (laughs) Smashed it against your head several times? Only the prologue. Ah, okay. Got a smashing of the head a couple of times, a bit like The Hobbit. More on that in a few weeks' time. <laughs> yeah, so I actually smashed this book as well. I read about one and a half chapters towards the end of last week and then spent the weekend basically, instead of candy crushing, picking up the book and flicking through the next few pages. It's a joke. You must You're spend allowed a lot to laugh. Time on candy crush. <laughs> well, that's a revelation. Go on. <laughs> You're allowed to laugh. And I actually found that. The character development was incredibly believable. So I really liked how the boys, before taking their crafts, they were young, they were niggly, as you said before, but that they moved on to this sort of begrudging respect and then eventually to a believable friendship as they backed one another and helped each other out. And I think that sort of sets it up neatly for the next in the series. One thing that slightly annoyed me is that they put the pretty blonde chubby girl in the kitchen for her craft... Mm. Well, she put herself there. That's what she wanted. Yeah. And I like to cook too, but I don't necessarily want to spend my life in the kitchen making food for other people. I don't know. I just thought, is her character going to be developed in the rest of the series like they've developed the two boy characters here? Or is she really just going to be there to serve them delicious pies as they attend the annual harvest feast? That annoyed me. I think the other female character seems to be foreshadowed as having a greater role, yes. perhaps. Alice. Yeah, mm. I agree with that. I really liked her and also her mentor. They sort of present her as a great person to be looking up to as well. But I didn't like the kiss. Am I allowed to really spoil it for these 10 to 11-year-old boys? 
<laughs> yes, <laughs> all of them listening. <laughs> we did tell them to pause and go and read it. Like, I didn't feel the relationship develop between Will and Alice throughout the novel. I know that they tried to push, oh, yes, she's very beautiful and elegant, but that's all he kind of saw in her. Well, he only saw that she was truly beautiful at the moment immediately before the kiss. Yeah, how fantastic. <laughs> He seemed to feel a bit sorry for her, like, the moment before the moment before. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, do you want to dance, I guess? <laughs> I thought maybe that was a little bit premature, mm. given that it is a series. It is set up for a series and could be a little bit more. It did feel forced. I think you need, like, an erotic romance novel or something like that if you want the long-term kind of tease about the romance. <laughs> Or The Hunger Games. <laughs> yeah, or The Hunger Games, which, as far as I can tell from the movies, doesn't seem to be resolved even in the final book. Exactly. Yeah. Just touching on the relationship between Horace and Will, I thought at one stage there, after the incident with the horse, that it might go in a completely different direction and they would become these mortal enemies, kind of like a Harry Potter and Malfoy. I thought it might have gone that way too, and I was actually a bit sort of surprised that that's what they were doing. Yeah, same. I was surprised when it started to come around. And... Like you said, Bree, I think they matured as characters. They were just little boys, and throughout their training and a few trials, they started to become men towards the end, and it could have gone very dark and very the opposite direction, I agree. Hmm. I actually liked the way he did it was quite interesting, I thought, because they had the massive falling out, and they were sort of almost sworn enemies. They'd beaten the snot out of each other, and then you saw that sort of resolution coming where they would sort of be bonded together through some kind of adversity but it didn't take that adversity for the friendship to form they kind of got into this situation on the boar hunt or whatever where they were they were both scared and it was sort of clearly stated like you know whatever like there's no animosity between the two of us we're just here together we're doing this thing together and we're clearly in danger and they really sort of cement it with the outcome of the boar hunt they kind of let it go in a very mature fashion even prior to that moment i still think the boar hunt was that adversity though surely it wasn't the extreme sort of corny adversity that it really built up to like their lives weren't in imminent danger nobody was saving someone else like there wasn't this sort of clear kind of you really laid it down for me and now we can look past our differences it it kind of happened sort of fairly naturally they were thrust together they were in a difficult situation but yeah it didn't have to sort of come to that final conclusion before they put aside the hostility i quite liked that isn't that exactly what happened though didn't he save his life effectively yeah, he did. But what I'm saying is that they were bonding before, before that. Before okay, that. Gotcha. Hmm. They, they sort of, they put it aside before that. They weren't sort of sitting there on their respective horses shooting daggers at each other. Yeah, they both looked at each other and realised they were both scared and they sort of had a bit of a moment then before they were actually really in danger. Small boys amongst men, they probably felt smaller than it all and I think you can bond over that. We're all fallible. That was really all that boar hunt was in there for. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And also to showcase Will's character a little bit, I think, to show that he had some of the chutzpah of his father. Right. I'm glad you brought up the gender roles issue, Brie, because it's one mm. of the things that I noted down that I didn't like. It wasn't just that, yes, the female, one of the... Pretty chubby blonde. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was put into the kitchen. Although, yes, that was her interest. It was also that there didn't seem to be any potential to be a female knight or a female ranger and that might change later in the series we might find that they're not all men but so far i think they are and i think if you're writing kids books these days even if you think of a medieval setting you might want to try and do that kind of thing i think that's where books like the hunger games and tomorrow when the war began when you've got a strong female character not necessarily the lead but at least in there it makes it more accessible to to girls 
And and I think boys want female heroes as well. You want a Brienne of Tarth in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> boys don't necessarily always want to have just male heroes. They like the feisty ones. As like a grown boy, I'm very into a bit of a balance. It's one of the things about fantasy that can get a bit tedious is the constant swords and sorcery sausage fest. Right, absolutely. <laughs> so well put. And I think partly that's one of the reasons that I never really got into fantasy as a child is there were few and far between the good, strong leads like that. Right. Mm, bring it on. But I'm happy to read The Hunger Games any time. <laughs> Well, there's a few books. We might explore that later. Put it on the list. Try and track down a few books with strong female leads in a fantasy setting Mm. that's age-appropriate, I guess, for this pod. We'll see if we can dig some up. I'm trying to think of a few right now and I'm... Drawing a blank? Yeah. I've got Graceling on the list and I haven't read it, but I believe it's got a female lead. Is that a contemporary one or is that a... Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm. But classics, we might have to think a bit harder, but we'll come back to that, I guess. The Roldal fantasy, Matilda. (laughs) (laughs) Just before we move on, there was a couple of other points that we didn't raise that I didn't like about the book. One was that there was a bit of a lack of consistency in the setting and language, I felt. I didn't write down any specific examples apart from this one. At one point, they spoke Gaelic, and they (laughs) referred to it as Gaelic. And nothing else about this. um, the book suggested it was set in a slightly different version of our world. Everything else, to me, put it in a completely separate fantasy universe, except for the fact they were speaking Gaelic to each other periodically. And there were a few instances like that where they used words or terminology that just didn't fit in a a medieval fantasy-type setting. So that put me off a couple of times, but otherwise I thought the writing was pretty good. I thought it flicked between characters pretty quickly a couple of times mid-chapter, which bugged me, and I just sort of have to switch it over, but um, nothing too drastic. Mm, mm, yep. And and the last thing was that the supporting characters, like the, the rest of the wards, only got a very glancing, I don't know, glancing amount of time spent on them. I think that will be something that develops much more in the later books, I hope at least, but yeah. I'd really like to find out what some of those mm. other characters are capable of as as the series goes on. Yeah, you would assume that's why they introduced them all that they did for mm. the following books. Mm. It does look like it might be a bit of a two-horse race, potentially. but That's right. Um, Horace and Will at this stage we'll are mm. certainly out in front. Also, it was Gallic rather than Gaelic. Oh, was it? Thank you so much yeah. for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's my jalopy right there. <laughs> All right, so we'll move on. One thing I thought about the book, uh, and I, I wanted to discuss this briefly, is I thought it was very, very age-appropriate. Apart from, I guess, this agreement we've had about the beating of the bullies, I thought the content and the level of writing and the themes of the book were all pretty good for a 10 or 11-year-old. I would have been very happy reading that, I think, as a as a 10-year-old. I would have read the hell out of it. I, I read the hell out of it as a 20-something-year-old, so, yeah, it would, it would have been amazing. I would have devoured it. Thinking I ahead, the, you, you two parents, um, <laughs> give it sort of seven or eight or nine years, do you think your kids would be happy reading this? Yeah, yeah, I definitely would be. In fact, I've already recommended it to someone I know with, I think, a 10-year-old child. So, yeah, definitely, I think it's very age-appropriate, setting aside the bully component, which I didn't think about too much before. I think, yeah, it's great. You're coming around to our way of seeing it, is what you're saying. (laughs) Don't weaken, Keith. 
<laughs> well, I haven't gone hardline the other way either. I've kind of left myself mm. in the middle, so I'll, I'll leave it there. Ah, oh, that bloody non-committal. <laughs> <on the fence. laughs> I agree. I think you know it's a if I think for me it's if the characters develop and we, as you mentioned before, Laurie, the secondary characters are developed through the next few books. I think that'll make it a little bit more well-rounded. Uh, perhaps I'd like to put a bit of context around the bullying. But other than that, yeah, great read. Did you ever hear about the woman who was reading Harry Potter to her children, but she kind of like stripped out all of the, the conflict and, and bullying and sort of the speaking back to authority and everything that Harry and Ron and co all got involved in? No, but what you're telling me is that that would have been a really boring read, yeah? Oh, it was... It was just amazing though it was like you know harry left the ground of hogwarts and saved hagrid's life but you know he shouldn't have left after <laughs> curfew at night and so they they really gave him a solid punishment and he had to wash the dishes for weeks afterwards and it was like sort of sanitized harry potter i mean would you ever consider doing something like that well i do sanitize books right so for example i've just started reading my daughter's first chapter book being The Enchanted Wood, I do find that I'm substituting Joe looking after his sisters. I'm either leaving that line out at the moment or just talking about how they're looking after each other as they enter the forest. So I do find myself changing some of those books. Any mentions of sort of Joe lining up a rail of blow is completely committed? (laughs) In this occasion, yes. However, it is the traditional version. It's not. They haven't changed the names of the characters in the one we've been reading. I admit that I have not edited any of the Masters of the Universe golden books I've read to my two-and-a-half-year-old, so <laughs> if that makes me a bad parent, then I'll I'll take the uh, accusations. You, you haven't put little black sticky tape over uh, He-Man's nipples or anything? <laughs> <laughs> not for that reason, no. <laughs> so, uh, so, Keith, I believe you had another discussion point. Yeah, it was to do with the ending and more so the epilogue. It really was a little bit too sweet for me and some of it didn't make sense to me also when Holt was recalling the tale of Will's father it was entertaining that idea that all this time he had this secret that he had withheld from Will but then I had to question why and the reasoning they gave in the book didn't stand with me so I don't know what you guys thought but the idea was that he didn't want to have any relationship with Holt the ranger because rangers were seen as mysterious and that would have been horrible for this child growing up in this not orphanage but with these other other children with parents who are no longer as a ward yeah as a ward that's it i can i can actually buy that because they it wasn't that the rangers were mysterious but there was almost a sort of certain stigma around the rangers and their whole shtick really even will was scared of the rangers yeah that is fair enough but my issue is not so much with the association with the rangers or the concern over that association, but the whole mystery surrounding Will's history. Mm. When we have that watershed moment in the epilogue, it caused me to think back about everything that happened so far in the book, about Will being kept in the dark about his family history, and it just didn't add up to me. It wasn't realistic. Mm. I like the concept itself, and it's really entertaining, this whole idea that Holt had been watching out for Will because his father saved his life and his mother had died giving birth to him. It was the execution of that idea that I didn't like. Right. Because the more I thought about it, the more it felt like the only reason that Will didn't have a surname and know his family history was so that we could have this big revelation that would help to wrap the story up in this nice little parcel. It took me out of the moment a little bit. Mm. I felt the same about withholding information about Will's parents, even though Will had prompted him about it. 
it felt out of character for Holt. Mm. And the only reason that I could come up with for, for Holt behaving that way was surrounding the story itself and the author wanting to build suspense and amplify the impact when they did eventually disclose the, the truth. Mm. Because of that, it felt clumsy and contrived, which wasn't a feeling I got from the rest of the book. So while it didn't spoil it for me, I would have been an even bigger fan if there was a believable justification established at some point. Right. I felt that that came too soon. Yeah, I felt it came too soon. I felt that it could have waited a book, another book, another couple of books. It didn't need to be wrapped up into this neat little parcel ready to go. Unless there was a risk that the next book wasn't going to be published. But usually these days, you've pretty much got a three book deal if you've got a good idea. But in terms of a kind of narrative arc for that first book, there wasn't actually very much that happened. It was very introductory, and I thought some of that character development kind of helped a little bit in terms of making that book one self-contained in the way it is. I, I think it might be something that's a bit more common in fantasy too, is sort of these little mini arcs that focus on the different portions of a character's life and so I don't know how it's going to progress I haven't read any of the others but a lot of the time what you tend to see is like you know the childhood mystery childhood uh childhood arc is resolved then we go into kind of adolescence and increasing competence and a, another arc there and that arc's resolved and then romance uh sort of kind of a, a mastery kind of phase after being the apprentice and that's what I'd sort of expect to see in a typical fantasy series in this who knows like maybe they're going to sort of play out that that childhood stage for much longer to continue to relate to the you know the intended audience but I, f- I feel like to to make it self-contained, to make that first book have the, the punch that it did, it worked to, to have those sort of revelations and things in there, given their audience. I did like the idea that Holt had been monitoring him, and it made sense like with the story that he had done that. I thought that that meant that we would eventually find out that Holt was like an uncle or a, possibly even his father or something like that, but nope, just watching out. Mm. That would have been interesting. Bit of a dick father move, <laughs> I think. <laughs> You're an orphan. <laughs> Your father's dead. Well, he's got one of the most important jobs in the realm, though. So. Mm. All right, so how about we move on to summary and scores? Bree, have you got some wonderful scoring oh. metrics up for well, this I week? Well, I think I kind of know where you're all going to sit on it. So I've got three options this evening, today, depending on when you're listening to this. So your scoring options tonight are, A, I would read the next few in the series before getting bored, if the characters don't develop. B, I would read the next 11, including the one set 16 years into the future, if it guarantees that Harry ends up with Hermione. Uh, (laughs) I mean, Alyssa and Will. C, I will stick to the old school Redwall series instead. Oh, Oh, geez, that's tough because I'll do two of those things. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure I'm going to read through the rest of the series and there's another series that my mother recommends. Written by the same author that apparently is pretty good as well. Thanks, Laurie's mum, for the steady stream of content that she's yes. pouring Maybe through. we should have her in about a year's time and we'll review, I don't know, book 12 or whatever it is. Yeah, She right. can guest for us. Yeah, so A, I would continue on with the series and B, I've also read all of Red Ball and love it too, but we'll save that for another week. <laughs> yeah, B and C. Mm. And you? Keith? It's an A for me. I would read some more. Mm. I really, I really enjoyed it overall. So definitely A. Patrick Moon. Uh, yeah, I was. I am the same, pretty much. I would, depending on the quality, I, I would definitely commit to reading another one or mm. two, and uh, quite possibly another eleven. <laughs> yeah, I like it a lot. 
I did too. I don't like to leave things undone. I think I'd probably, it would probably take me the next three years in the life I lead, but I think I'd have a crack the whole lot. All right. So uh, thumbs up all around. Well done, John Flanagan. You've got at least an extra couple of dollars coming your way from us. <laughs> I didn't realise he was Australian too. Yeah, that's, from Manly. That's impressive. Is he still alive and kicking yeah. and writing books? Uh, I can't tell his age. He does look like to be a slightly older gentleman from the picture at the back of the book. But yeah, he's still writing. I mean, the the Brother Band Chronicles are only four books in. And I think that the last one was only written in the last year or two. So... Yeah, Keith could certainly go around and punch his nose in for that one particular part he didn't like. <laughs> Paddle him with the cane or whatever it was. Uh, it just would have been better left out, I thought. A bit of mystery. It might come back. It might come back to... There might be a real reason that comes out in the next few. You never know. Yeah, maybe. True. And as a 10-year-old, if all that lead-up didn't get revealed by the end of the book, I would have been a bit disappointed. But uh, That's also yeah. true. I'm glad we all enjoyed it. Next episode, we have a deviation in store with a collective playthrough of a randomly selected title from the seminal Choose Your Own Adventure series. There's no homework for you, dear listeners, but feel free to contact us on Twitter at Seeking Tumnus or on our Facebook page to let us know how you're going and make suggestions for future books for us to feature. Thanks for joining us on this wild ride. Until next episode, tread lightly, watch for movement in the shadows, and keep reading. I'm still seeking You're an orphan. <laughs> Your father's dead. <laughs> <laughs>